I'm notorious for trying to do um, illustrations, and what would we give me, about a 40% success rate, maybe? <laughs> Something like that. Um, amazing. So this morning, we're continuing our current series on, on prayer and worship, and I'm speaking on worship, and particularly warfare worship. Um, warfare worship. Can you, can you give me kind of like your, your kind of like your battle face? If you had a battle face, what would it look like? like got some battle faces in there. Everyone's laughing at me. I hope that isn't your battle faces. It's, it's not very convincing. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to be reading from um, 2 Chronicles 20, but firstly, I want to kind of set the scene. Um, so Jehoshaphat is the king. Can you say Jehoshaphat? Good. Uh, so he was king of Judah about 350 years before Jesus was born. Um, and Jehoshaphat, by all accounts, was quite a good king. He certainly wasn't perfect, but he was good. He was looking to God for leadership. He was teaching his people how to follow God's laws. He did make a mistake by teaming up with King Ahab. We've heard of King Ahab, right? From like Elijah, those stories, who wasn't a good guy. So he did make a mistake there. Uh, and, and him and Ahab teamed up to attack the Syrians. And God said to him, to Jehoshaphat, there'd be consequences of that alliance. And sometime later, we have the Syrians. Uh, they turn up to attack them back. It's funny how that works, isn't it? So the Syrians turn up and they decide to attack Jehoshaphat. And they have a big army and they're coming against Jehoshaphat. And I was processing this this week and I read a really good um, article and it was talking about how you know sometimes God defeats our enemies before we even know that they're there. I really like it when that happens like that, don't we all? Yeah? And he said, sometimes God lets your enemies come right at you and you have to look him in the face before he defeats them. And, and I really want to encourage you this morning, sometimes God does do that in your life. He lets it come right at you and you're sitting there and you're praying and you're like, God, I really need you. God, I really need you. Seriously, it's really close now and I really need your help. Has anyone ever had a situation like that? I'm guessing we probably all have, right? Where it gets close, sometimes God wants us to face our lives. And I know that sounds obvious, but sometimes we think he's not acting when he should, but we really need to learn to trust his timing. He allows us to go through the storms. He doesn't set us up to fail. And when he allows us to journey through the tests of life, it's because he's wanting to produce something in us. He wants to reveal something to us. Who, who I didn't need a hand up, but who's kind of facing some sort of challenge at the moment? Some sort of trial, some sort of test. I really want to encourage you this morning. God is in it with you. He hasn't abandoned you or forgotten you. I love when Jesus is asleep on the boat and there's a storm's raging and the disciples are pulling their hair out and then they decide, oh, we should probably wake him up. And I love it because I totally believe it was, it was Jesus' plan actually just to go straight to the other side of the shore and that they would trust him enough to know that if he was in the boat with them, they were okay. And I really want to encourage you today, this is why James says to count it all as joy when you face testings and trials of various kinds because, because it's producing something in us. God sets us up to succeed and not to fail. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, God's setting me up to be victorious. It's true. He is. Because he is victorious, we are victorious in him. 
And I'm not saying these journeys are always easier, though. Um, Let me put the story in context. So we're told in chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles that Jehoshaphat's standing army in Jerusalem was 1.1 million mighty men of valor. That's a lot, isn't it? 1.1 million mighty men of valor. You can read that in chapter 17. And yet when Jehoshaphat heard about the Syrian army coming to him, he was afraid He had absolute fear when he heard about this army coming. So you can imagine how big that army was. And whatever was coming his way made Jehoshaphat so scared like that his defenses in comparison were small and insignificant. And so who's ever faced off against a million soldiers in this room? Anyone? No, I didn't think so. But let me ask you this. Who's ever seen something coming down the track towards you in life? and being so afraid and so frightened of it, yeah? Maybe it's an angry customer coming to complain. Maybe it's a frustrated boss. Maybe it's your partner after you put your foot in your mouth. Possibly sometimes. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's just a looming deadline that just isn't possible. Maybe it's a credit card statement that causes you to catch your breath. Maybe it's a a report from the doctor that just makes everything scary. Anyone resonate with me? Yeah? We've all been in those situations that Jehoshaphat was in. So he had the fear and the trepidation. And I have a solution to this situation. Now you're wondering. See this? See, when we get in these situations in life, there's a really good solution where we do this. (laughs) And what we do is we... Can you still hear me? Oh, amazing. I was wondering if it would work. And what we do is we kind of... We walk through the situation... And we kind of hope that we, we get to the other side. But the great thing about this bucket is you can't see any of the things you're afraid of when you have it on your head. What an excellent solution, right? No? Don't be a bucket head. Who's ever been a bucket head? Who's ever hidden in the bucket because you don't want to face it? Sand is great. You can bury your head in sand. Unfortunately, I didn't think that would work for us this morning, so I decided bucket head was better. But that's what we do, right, sometimes. And I say we. If it's just me, it's going to be just me. But it's like, actually, I'd rather not think about anything going on around me, so let me find a new series on Netflix or, or let me get lost in social media or in a book or whatever it is, but we can try and just be like, oh, I'm just going to put this on my head and trust God's going to get me to the other side. And do you know what? In his mercy, he often does. And aren't we thankful, yeah? In his mercy, he often does. However, there is a better way than the bucket. Why don't you turn to your neighbor this morning and say, I'm not going to be a bucket head. (laughs) Don't be a bucket head. (laughs) See, on Monday they'll say, oh, what happened at church? You'll say, I'm not sure what he said, but there was a bucket and he put it on his head. (laughs) Jehoshaphat, instead of putting a bucket on his head, calls the people together to pray. And so let's read from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 13. I'm going to get some water. So verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon, I don't know how to say his name, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, I knew that one, son of Beniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, 
in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeroel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. I'm just going to pause for a second. And this instruction they get given is so simple. Go up and face them. Don't put a bucket on, don't hide away, don't close your eyes and hope it all just goes away, but rather go and face the problem. And this is the first thing we can learn from this, is actually we've got to face up to the things that scare us, the the things that cause us to be afraid. God could have easily let Jehoshaphat stay in his nice city of Jerusalem with all of his armies, and God could have just dealt with the Syrians on himself, right? He's big enough to do that. He doesn't need Jehoshaphat. But God intends for Jehoshaphat to see the victory. And that's for Jehoshaphat's sake. God intends for you to see the victory, and that's for your sake. God intends for you to get to that point where you're facing Goliath, where you hoped God wouldn't have let you got to, but to get to the 11th hour because he wants you to see the victory, because he wants to grow faith in you. But not only that, he he wants the world to see the victory. He wants the Syrians to see that he fought on Jehoshaphat's side. God wants the world around you to see that he fights on your side. And he's not trying to show off. He's showing that he shows up for his people. God shows up for his people every time. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, God shows up for me. Hey, God shows up for me. You can say it like that. Put a bit of attitude in it. God shows up for me because he does. Friends, every time he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. He says, behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Even to the very 11 hours and 59 minutes, God is always with us. And that encourages me. So verse 18, Jehoshaphat bows his head so all his people are gathered, his face to the ground. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. See, that's key, worship, because that's what we're talking about, yeah? Good. And the Levites of the the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Did you hear that last bit? A very loud voice. I really love that. I feel that's an encouragement for how we should praise God as a church. Not that there's never any time for for quieter voices, but actually the standard is we praise God with a loud voice. I think that's important. But notice how whilst everyone else was bound in prayer, the Korahites, and they were like the, the priestly prayer team, there's a really interesting story about the Korahites and how, like, basically, their, like, ancestor rebelled against God, but then actually the children were brought into service in the temple. But that's for another day. But they stood and started to worship. And in this position, we have this prayer of the people, but then the worship, the praise of the, of the Korahites, which comes together. It's, it's an unwritten understanding that actually sung praise was necessary at this point. Everyone was called to pray, 
Everyone was kneeling down, but suddenly someone stood up and started singing. There's an unwritten expectation that praise is really necessary. And this is important because there's a lot of places throughout Scripture where stuff is happening and, and God is doing stuff and people suddenly break out in praise. And it's not because God told them to do it, but actually they realize this is the right response at this point is we're going to praise. Does that make sense? Oh, on that. Hey, Becca. I just want to say thank you to Becca on behalf of us all. You know, Becca leads our, our worship community here, and we all worship as a church, but particularly the team, the band, and we just want to say thank you so much. You do an incredible job of, of um, yeah, let's give a round of applause. <laughs> but you do an in- incredible job of, of witnessing what it is to bring prayer and worshiping together, particularly through hope, and bring those two things together and actually bring them to the Lord as a way of, of fighting battles in life and dealing with stuff. And I put a note in to say thank you, because I am thankful. You really inspire us, you really inspire me, and I'm grateful. It's important to have people who inspire each other, right? So, verse 20. They rose early in the morning, they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And I don't have time to speak about this more today, but in 2 Chronicles 18, uh, Jehoshaphat goes to fight with Ahab, like I said. And before they go to fight, Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, hey, shouldn't we ask a prophet of the Lord whether we should be doing this first? And Ahab was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And so he asked a prophet who quite quickly said, no, you shouldn't be doing it. And Ahab decided he'd do it anyway. Uh, Ahab then dies in that battle, hence why they take revenge on Jehoshaphat instead. But the prophet Micah said, don't do it. And Jehoshaphat learned a massive lesson at that point about trusting in God, God's word, and God's word through his prophets. It's a valuable lesson, and I want to encourage us, you know, we as a church know, believe that God speaks today. And so many of our decisions that we make in this church are, are, are led by what we hear God saying to us and what we test and discern amongst ourselves. Um, so many stuff we've done over the years, it's been because someone said, hey, This is what God's saying. And I really want to encourage you, if you're facing challenges, you've got warfare coming up, you've got stuff going on in life, God's word is not an optional extra, it's necessary. And we have it through the Bible, but he continues to speak, and we need to take time to listen. On the fourth Sunday of every month, we have a prophetic uh, uh, like presbytery meeting next door. You can go and you can spend time with people who, who are practicing and training to hear God's voice and you can ask them to listen to God on your behalf. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Yeah? If you've got something you're facing and you haven't taken time to hear what God's saying, it's not a smart idea. Everyone with me? Yeah, awesome. That was like, a, like an encouragement and a bit of a nudge, like, come on, guys, let's do it. Verse 21, and when he had taken counsel, counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they had then helped to destroy one another. Isn't God good? 
I mean, it's quite violent, but it, he's good for looking after Jehoshaphat. So I've got two quick questions for you. Who told Jehoshaphat to appoint singers and get them to sing? As far as we know, no one. No one. Instead, it was again this, this expectation that actually the right thing to do is to be praising God, okay? And it's important. And what was the trigger that caused God's victory to be revealed in the situation? What was the thing that happened and then God acted and caused this disarray in the ambush? Yeah, you got it. Go for it. Be brave, Carmela. Yeah, they did it. When they started singing at that point, I'll read it again. When they started singing, as, uh, verse 22, and when they began to sing in praise, when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set the ambush. They weren't commanded to do it, but they realized actually the right thing when they're facing up a battle in their lives was to praise. And I want to encourage us, it's always the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do when we are facing stuff is to praise God. And I want to talk about why. Worship has to have an outworking. We are people of worship, but worship has to have an outworking, okay? You can't have something so incredibly... uh, just huge, bubbling up in your heart towards God without any outlet. It doesn't work. And praise is a natural overflow, and praise is such a powerful weapon of warfare. There are three great enemies of our souls, okay? There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, the devil. Three. Everyone with me? And we're going to have battles in life. And actually, discerning what, where the enemy is, is really helpful for us to know how to deal with it. And so I want to go through these three before I finish today. The first one is the world. What are the customs of the world around you which you are obliged to follow? What are the customs, the beliefs of the world around you which it's trying to get you to follow? Maybe it's that marriage is old-fashioned or that sex should be casual. Maybe it's that religion should be private and saved for home, or that truth is relative. See, the world is trying to conform us into thinking the same way. Has anyone ever experienced any of that? Romans 12 says this. I think we've got it on the screen. Would you be able to put up Romans 12 for me? Would you be able to just help him a lot? Thank you so much. Um, I want to read you just two verses from Romans 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Thank you so much, guys. I want you to be able to read it, that's why. Um, By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a, spirit, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And listen to this verse too. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what happens when we praise? There's so many great songs about us singing something until we believe it. Who knows a song like that? Yeah? Declaring God's truth uh, in order to actually drown out the lies of the world around us. And sometimes people ask, why do we sing the same song again and again and again on Sunday morning? And I want to say that sometimes God wants you to sing it again and again and again 
until it actually starts to go in. Not just into your head, but into your heart. Because there's truth, and we talk about meditating on God's truth. When we sing and refrain again and again, it's just a meditation. We're asking for that truth to come and take root inside of us because we're, it's so easy to start believing the customs and being conformed to the world around us. But actually, God wants us to know his truth and to live from that truth. So when we're faced with the battles of, of the world around us, actually meditating his truth through praise and through singing is really powerful. Does that make sense? Awesome. All right, the second part, the flesh. Our flesh. I don't want to be mean about us today but I'm going to read these verses. The Bible says, if you will live according to your fleshly desires, you will die. That our tongues are restless evils. That it is hostile to God that fleshly passions need crucifying. You see, the same hands that we can lift up on Sunday morning, some of us might have done that this morning, can be used to do a rather unkind gesture to another driver on the road, right? The same tongue that confesses Christ can be used to gossip about that person at work who doesn't quite hit the mark. And the same feet that are designed to advance his gospel can take us places actually we really shouldn't be. Romans uh, chapter 6 says this. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that's these things here, and to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, these things here, to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So as we present our members, which are these, why don't you do this for me, just so you remember what a member is, yeah? As we present these to God, as we present our bodies, our physical bodies to God, sin has no dominion over us. It's about bringing this in line with what's already gone in in our heart and our spirits. Present our bodies, our members to God in prayer. And worship. I love seeing dancers on Sunday mornings. We've got a couple in the church who do it, and I love seeing it. I love seeing people like use their whole bodies to praise God. I think it's good. I would dance, but you guys don't want to see that. So I'm just going to lift my hands and wiggle a little bit. But it's so powerful actually when we use our bodies to praise. And I want to encourage you, if you are struggling in any way with, with controlling the desires of your flesh, there are so many ways to do that, but one is actually discipline yourself to use your body to praise and to praise alone. These hands to praise and praise alone is so important because when the battle comes, temptation rises. Temptation to say something we shouldn't say, do something we shouldn't do, but actually if we devote our whole body to him, sin has no dominion over us. I would encourage you to practice that all you can in church. It's much easier to wiggle in here than it is to wiggle out there. Has anyone ever found it's much easier to sing loud in here than it is to sing loud out there. But if you do and what you make a habit in here will spill out when you are not in here. All right, my last one. Oh, make a very loud noise like Jehoshaphat's friends as well. That was one. My last point, the devil. Sometimes it's the devil and his demons that we must face. And they're often hidden behind schemes we consider to be very natural, but the reality is there's a supernatural entity operating behind them. And I want to make it clear, I'm not saying everything that ever goes wrong is a demon or a devil, but at the same time, I think it's unwise of us to think that there are no demons. There is no demonic activity. And I really want to encourage us, there's nothing for us to be afraid of, because we have the victory 
in Christ. Ephesians 6 says this, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. God makes it clear, if we resist the devil, he will flee. Does that sound good to everyone? But this resistance God calls us to is not passive, it's active. Just like Jehoshaphat's resistance wasn't passive, it wasn't stay at home in Jerusalem, eat some dates on your couch, that type of thing. Instead it was get out, draw up your battle lines, prepare yourself for war, and then watch my victory. This is important. Praise declares the victory and the greatness of God over every spiritual power and principality. When they hear the name Jesus, they recognize the victory that has already happened over them. I'm not talking about fighting a battle like we're in a battle against the devil, because we're not. He's been beaten. Amen? Yeah? He's been beaten. Jesus won. Isn't that good news? Jesus has already won the battle, but instead he just calls us to, to, to stand in the gap, to stand at the fight and watch his victory. And as we praise, as we declare, Jesus for my family, Jesus for... I forgot, they're really hard to remember. Those. When we declare that, when we declare the name of Jesus in praise over situations, demons hate it. They flee, they run away because every time they hear the name Jesus, it reminds them that they have lost, that there is no victory, there's no future for them. It's so powerful when we declare his name in praise. I remember just one quick testimony. I'll invite the band to come up. When we, um, Phil mentioned the other week about, I'll call it Toilet Gate up the road. Everyone know what I'm talking about? Phil mentioned it the other week up the road. And um, it was just a, a period, in, and, and I really believe amongst everything else going on, there was quite a serious um, spiritual battle between principalities and powers that, that the church, St. Lawrence, was coming up against. And, and there was a real battle going on there. And I remember the night of the election, um, not the election, the, the vote, uh, a number of us went for a prayer meeting up at St. Lawrence Church. Who was there? Because I can remember a few faces, yeah? So we went for a prayer meeting up at St. Lawrence Church. And, and we were in that church. We had, the, we had some drums, didn't we? That we had all these instruments. And we were praying and we were worshipping and we were praising Jesus. And we were making as much of a racket we could. There must have been like 15 of us or something. But we were making a real racket because we wanted to make it very clear to every single spiritual authority out there that Jesus has won the victory and that his church will advance his kingdom. And it was powerful, wasn't it? It was such a powerful night of, of praising God together. And um, I just love that. Praise is such a powerful weapon against the devil. You have nothing to be afraid of, friends. Just speak the name of Jesus and watch him flee. Isn't that amazing? Why don't you stand with me? I'm just going to share a testimony as we respond today. We're going to sing a song. It's a song you'll know, and I, and I really encourage you this morning. I want you to sing this song over any situations or places in your life where, where you really need Jesus' victory to be seen. 
And you may be just at the beginning or you may be in the 11th hour and the 59th minute and you're a bit desperate now. But we're going to sing this song. It's written by Jonathan Helser. And he's got a little test on me to the song that I want to share. This is him writing. He said, the song is about the couple. um, The song is about a couple of friends, two-year-old son who was airlifted to intensive care. The bad news continued to spread as we received the news that young Jackson wasn't expected to live through the night. And so Jonathan started writing this song. When the hopes of miracles started to disappear, he wrote the song. One of the most painful parts of being a parent is seeing your child suffer from a disease and not knowing that he would live any longer. And Jonathan said he sent a text message of this song to Jackson's dad, And Jackson's dad played it over Jackson while he was lying in hospital. And within the next few weeks, we saw a miracle. Jackson fully recovered and he is alive and well now. And this song has now become an anthem of victory for the way God fights for us when we raise our hearts and our song to him. And so, Father, this morning, we believe in the same God of Jehoshaphat, Though an army came up against him, God, you are faithful to fight that battle. And I know and I believe this morning you are fighting our battles. Lord, if, they, if they're getting close or if they're still far away, God, I know you are at work. And I pray even as we sing this morning, God, that we would place our trust and our hope in you and we would declare your praise, your victory over these situations. God, we're not going to put a bucket in our heads and hide away and hope for the best, but God, we're going to stand up and be counted. Why don't you just, I just, just start praying, just what that situation, anything you're facing which is difficult, I just want you to speak to it and say, hey, I'm going to stand up and be counted. I'm not hiding away. I'm going to stand up and be counted. (laughs) Let's raise a hallelujah.